We have been talking about hearing him in the dark. How do we hear in the dark? That's usually some of the challenging times when, when they were rowing on the boat in the New Testament and it was stormy and Peter, I mean, remember, Peter was a fish, what was his occupation? How many times had he been on the Sea of Galilee? Did he knew how to fish, he knew how to row a boat. And all of a sudden this one was different, this storm was different and he thought they were going to die. And do you remember what he cried out? Lord, carest thou not that we perish? Something we often say in the darkness. Sometimes we forget that mortality is intended to stretch our muscles and push us. And sometimes the darkness gets a little overwhelming and we just cry out, Lord, where are you? Um, carest thou not that we perish? So the last couple of classes, we've pointed out how the Book of Mormon begins. It fascinates me how the Book of Mormon begins. What's the whole story of First? If we were to take the tree of life out of First Nephi, what would the rest of the story be? How to deal with adversity. Two young men go through the exact same trials and end up like this, right? I think it's fairly safe to say that at the beginning of 1 Nephi, Nephi and Laman were not too far apart. It's reasonable to say, okay, they're young and they're probably somewhere here. But where do they end up? Not because Nephi went through easy trials or good trials or positive trials and Laman went through hard trials. Why do they end up so far apart? It's because of how they responded. Hearing God, hearing Him in the dark is a critical challenge for all of us. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be in someone's head who went through the darkness and hear what God said to them and write it down? Well, that's one of the gifts of the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail. We have a record of a prophet in prison, in pain, in anguish for six months. Not just six months, he's in a Missouri prison from October to April. And so you can picture what that was like. I don't know if you've ever been to Liberty Jail. I don't know if you've ever seen Liberty Jail, but this was a miserable experience. And not only that, but what are his people going through right now? They are being kicked out of the state of Missouri and they are wandering and trying to find a new home. And Joseph isn't with them. His wife has children and Joseph isn't with them. He's in anguish, right? It's understandable then that he would shake his fist towards heaven and scream out. Hiram, are you there? 121. Read that verse 1, but kind of read it probably with a little desperation. This is not, oh, sitting in a beautiful institute building that's nice and warm, and the sun is shining, and the grass is greening, and the snow's gone, and it's a beautiful day. Read it probably the way Joseph said it. It's understandable that in the dark, we have these moments. Hiram? O oh God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? 
That is the cry of an angry, frustrated, I need help and I don't know where you are. Read the next one. How long shall thy hand be stayed and thine eye, yea, thy pure eye, behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people and of thy servants, and thine ear be penetrated with their cries? So if you've ever had a, where is God? Carest thou not that we perish moment. If you've ever had a, oh God, where art thou moment, then we need to pay attention to what he teaches Joseph. It's a beautiful moment where we get to hear God speaking to someone suffering. Now I'll post on the website, as soon as I get this class up, give me a couple days, but I'll post on the website the, the fullness of the letter. We have only taken excerpts for section 121, 122, and 123. The whole letter has a whole lot more. And what you'll see in the letter is there's several paragraphs that come before six and seven, or after six and before seven. So six, he's still shaking his fist. He's still, remember thy suffering saints, O our God. And then all of a sudden in seven, God is speaking to his soul. Well, there's a huge chunk of the letter that comes between them. I'll give you the full letter so you can kind of read. If you're interested in the full letter, I'll give it to you. And I've highlighted the different sections so you can see where verse 6 ends and verse 7 begins. But we'll talk a little bit about what comes between. But now God takes over. Joseph has calmed, and we'll talk about why in just a minute. But Joseph has calmed. He's now ready to listen. And when we, like Nephi, we talked about that when that trial comes, you can, you can either turn away and feel wronged, or you can turn towards God and humble yourself. Joseph is turning to God. And what I'd like to do is just make a list of truths that Joseph learns in pain. Doctrinal truths that you need to know if you ever go through a dark, painful period, whether that's health or financial or social or anything. Maybe it's even spiritual. Maybe you go through a faith crisis. Whatever the darkness is going to be, here are a series of truths that I think we all need to remember. And I want to start with the first two words of verse 7. Tell me what those two words teach you. What truth, what reality do I put on the board? How does it begin, Hiram? What's the first two words? My son. How is that different than, hey, you, or just jumping into the revelation? How is it different to start with my son? Think about it. If the verse had been, peace be unto thy soul, it would be good, right? How is it better in darkness that he started with, my son. What does that mean to you, Hiram? Thoughts? Um, Well, obviously he's our father. I think it shows that he cares about us as a perfect father would. I just love that concept that there are experiences that you, you need to go through for your benefit and he understands them and you need to just trust that he does. I think he's saying, 
You're not alone. I'm here. But what we need to understand is him being here doesn't mean the pain's going to instantly stop, right? Him being here is, this is important, but I'm not going to let you do it alone. What if Jesus's pain instantly stopped the moment it started? What consequences would that have for all of us? And what if our pain instantly stopped the moment it started? What negative consequences would it have? And so him being there is, it's not time for this to go away. But you're not alone. I think that's important for us to understand is we do not suffer alone. Pain doesn't mean he's abandoned us. Pain is often, Alicia, let's hear it. I'm sure you can testify of this. Yes. I am actually doing needlepoint. The footprints in the sand prone. I love it. And this is reminding me of the last verse where he said, um, we were not, not alone. He was carrying us when you only see the one set of foot, footprints. It's beautiful. Pain doesn't mean he's abandoned us, but we need to remember that painful experiences are not faced alone. Was he alone? He had to be. He had to be alone. And so what does he make sure? What's he going to make sure? He knows what it's like to be in darkness alone, right? So what is he going to make sure? I will make sure you are never alone. That's what that, that is truth number one. We need to begin there. Is that just because it's a painful experience, just because it's Liberty Jail, does not mean you're doing this alone. He is there. You are not alone. Now, the next part of verse 7, I think we need to add as well. I know this is almost mocking to say this to someone in pain, but it is a truth we need to remember. What is the next truth? Desiree, you want to throw that one out? After my son, what does he say? Keep going. Okay. In other words... What eternal truth do we need to know about every human suffering? About now, no matter how painful the experience, what do we need to know? It will not last. In fact, it really won't last very long. The distance between it starting and him ending it are never going to be a long time. Even those who I know suffer from chronic pain. He's saying it will not last for long. It will not last. Hold on to that hope. <clears throat> I'm just going to write, but a small moment. But a small moment. One of my absolute, Jesus made seven statements from the cross. Hanging on the cross or as he was being crucified, he makes seven statements. The last one is, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
Anyone tell me what the second to the last one was? Three wonderful words Jesus uttered. I bet they were one of the best. I bet it was one of the most relieving. That's a great guess, but nope, not quite right. It. I that was the first one he said to the people crucifying him. The second to last one was, it is finished. It is finished. Meaning I can die now. The price has been paid. It is finished. And that's when he gave up the ghost. Now tell me what that means to you. If his ordeal came to an end, if he could say of the greatest suffering of all, it is finished. Tell me what those three words mean to you. What is the promise he's making to you? So will, so will yours. It is his assurance that his atonement will end all pain. It will end. And holding on to that hope I think is important. Just a couple scriptures. Let's do Revelation 21, 4. We got to read this one. One of my most favorites. Revelation 21, 4. Dion, would you mind reading that? Revelation 21, 4. A promise, just like those three words from the cross, it is finished, is a promise that because he finished his, he will make sure yours comes to an end. And with it, he says... And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. One more time. We've got to hear that one more time. That's just too beautiful for one reading. One more time, if you don't mind, Dion. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That is a promise. Your challenge, your trial will end. Hold on to that hope. Now, just a couple more scriptures. I want to talk about the night they were on the boat. This is not the same time where Peter cries out, Carest thou not that we perish. On another occasion where he puts him in the boat, this is after... He fed the 5,000. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. And then if you can, John 6. Let's find both of those. Matthew 14 and John 6. This is all four gospel writers talking about the storm, this storm. And that's rare for all four. Usually Matthew, Mark, and Luke will talk about something and John won't. But all four talk about this storm. <clears throat> they row for nine hours. They get in the boat at 6 p.m. and he comes to them on the fourth watch. The night was broken into four watches. So six to nine was the first watch. Nine to midnight was the second watch. Midnight to three was the third watch. So he comes no sooner than 3 a.m. and they've been rowing since 6 p.m. Rowing in the dark on a stormy sea. Can you imagine their mental state? And he walks on the water. 
Now, when he finally gets to the boat, when, and I know you know the story, Peter comes out, but when he finally gets in the boat, I want to point out two things that happen. Verse 32 of Matthew 14. Let's do Matthew 14's account first. As soon as he comes into the ship, number one, yell it out when you see it. No more storm. When he comes into the boat, no more storm. The storm will end. And not only that, but go to John's account. What does John add in John chapter 6, verse 21? As soon as he enters the boat, what else happens? They land. They're no longer in the middle of the ocean or the middle of the sea where they were. John tells us that they were in the middle. And as soon as Jesus enters the boat, no more rowing, no more storm, and no more rowing. He carried them to the destination. Again, a promise. Your trials will end. No matter how painful, his did, and so will yours. Okay, verse 8, back to section 121. Let's do our next truth. Who wants to read? I don't remember where we're at. Desiree, do you mind? Section 121, verse 8, has an if in it. It's an interesting if. Now, it's one we talked about last week. But I do want to point it out. It comes up again in Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail. Read verse 8. So what's the key condition here? If you endure it, is he saying if you just get through it, then God will exalt you? What's the key condition here? What'd you catch? If you endure it well. If you endure it well, God will triumph you. Now that reminds us, while we're still in the Doctrine and Covenants, let's jump forward to 136. <coughs> we'll be back to 121 in just a minute. Don't lose it. But jump forward to 136. This is what we read two classes ago when we started talking about Nephi and his experience. Verse 31. Hiram, read that one. Very similar but it's kind of got that same, if you endure well, Hiram 136, verse 31. My people must be tried in all things, that they may be prepared to receive the glory that I have for them, even the glory of Zion. And he that will not bear chastisement is not worthy of my kingdom. There it is. Endure it well. Bear chastisement. Let me do one more. Section 58. Right after he introduces them, to Jackson County, and this is where we're going to build Zion. In the very next section, he says in verse 2, get ready for what? It's not all going to be glory and roses and green lights and open parking stalls. It's going to be tribulation. Jumping to verse 3, <clears throat> you cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time, the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. That's that same idea. He that will not bear chastisement 
cannot have the glory. Joseph was told, if you endure it well, God will triumph you. And now in section 58, he says, there's a glory that comes after tribulation. Therefore, verse 2, he that is faithful in tribulation. What does that suggest? We could also be unfaithful in tribulation. He that is faithful in tribulation, the reward is the same. The reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. So that's what we've been doing. That's what, those are our previous two classes. But so I just remind you, there it is again. If you endure it well. Key word here, I don't think is endure. I think the key word is well. If you have Nephi's attitude instead of Laman's attitude, I remind you that Laman's attitude was always to feel wronged, to get wrath and to be angry at God. Nephi's attitude was to humble himself and call upon God and then be able to see, if you endure it well, you will triumph. Now we've talked about that, so we'll, we won't jump into that. Let's do the next point. One very, very important thing I would add to all of you. When pain comes, I think we as human beings have a natural tendency to do what with the people we love. I know you've all done it. You've had a really bad day. You're really angry. You're really upset. You're hurt. And what do you do to the people you love? You push them away, don't you? You get a little snarky. You say things that you shouldn't. And you're pushing the people who love you most away. It's human nature, I think. So Joseph is reminded in verse 9. Let's go back to section 121, verse 9. Dion, would you mind one more time? Section 9, or section 121, verse 9. I think this is significant that the Lord would remind Joseph of this. Thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly thoughts. So what's the plea here? What's, what is divinity saying? What is Heavenly Father trying to say to him that we all ought to do in our moments of pain? Don't suffer alone. Let them in. It is human nature to push people away as if it's a requirement to suffer alone. It is not, nor is it a, mar a badge of honor. There is no shame in telling someone who loves you that you're in pain. This whole idea of acting brave, I have a sweet friend, I'll say that. I have a sweet friend who was recently cheated on by her husband of 25, 30 years, not 30, but 25 years. After 25 years of marriage, he cheated on her and they've now divorced. And when I saw this friend for the first time, it was all smiles and roses. And I wondered, why is it that the people who love you the most 
aren't welcomed into that pain to help you with it? Why do we feel like we have to put on this happy face? That we can't be honest with people who love us and say, I'm in pain. I could really use someone right now. Just be there with me. Let me show you what Job's friends did with him first. Go to Job chapter 2, the very last verse of Job chapter 2. This is a beautiful moment. Now I know this flies in the face of what they're about to do. But I just am going to hold on to this moment. Verse 2, or sorry, sorry, chapter 2, verse 13. Tell me what they did. I'll let you read it. Job chapter 2, verse 13. Tell me what his friends did and tell me what they didn't do in this verse. Because what do we have a tendency to do? First of all, we're not invited in. And then when we're invited in, we need to be careful not to explain away their pain or try and comfort away their pain. We just need to what? Be there with them. Let people be there with you in your grief. Let them in. Thy friends do stand by thee. Don't put on the tough act that says you have to tell everyone that everything's fine when everything isn't fine. Let the people who care about you most come in. This is where we need to turn to the actual letter. Now, Dion and Alicia, you're going to have a hard time reading this. I'll stand over here and do my very best. But let me sh let's read the letter together. I want you to see what calmed Joseph down. Uh, shoot, I just had this all ready to go. Where did it go? Uh, come on. There they are. Okay. Oh, can't see because the TV's not on. All right, I'll do my best to stand in front of this, you guys that are at home. This is the letter I was telling you about. I will post this letter on the website after we're done when I get this clip page uploaded. Now, what you can see here, this is verse one, and I'll go small. Oh, whoops. Maybe I won't. There's six, and then this we start, section 121, verse one. Oh God, where art thou? So Joseph wrote quite a bit before he said, oh, jo oh God, where art thou? And then notice what I was saying earlier. This is where Joseph, so the blue is the verse in the Doctrine and Covenants. So section 121, verse 6, thy sufferings, remember thy suffering saints, O God, and thy servants will rejoice thy name forever. So that's the end of verse 6. Notice where verse 7 begins. Look at all this. All of this black is not in the letter. All of this is not in the letter. And then finally, my son, peace be unto thy soul. A whole bunch of the letter 
is included between verses 6 and 7 of section 121. I want to read this, this paragraph. What calmed Joseph down? You don't go from, oh God, where art thou, to my son, peace be unto thy soul, do you? Doesn't happen. You don't go from frustrated and anger to submissive and listening. Something calmed him down. What calmed him down? <clears throat> we received some letters last evening, one from Emma, one from Don C. Smith, and one from Bishop Partridge. Who were they from? Let's list these. His wife, his brother, his bishop. We received some letters. I received some letters. My wife, my brother, and my bishop all breathing a kind and consoling spirit. We were much gratified with their contents. We had been a long time without information. And when we read those letters, they were to our souls as the gentle air is refreshing. But our joy was mingled with grief because of the sufferings of the poor and much injured saints. And we need not say to you that the floodgates of our hearts were lifted and our eyes were a fountain of tears. Now listen carefully to what he's saying. And think about your painful moments and what you have had a tendency to do when you have been in pain. You run home, you slam the door, you close your door, you leave everyone outside. But those who have not been enclosed in the walls of prison without cause or provocation can have but little idea how sweet the voice of a friend is. One token of friendship. Now remember that, that's our antecedent. One token of friendship from any source, whatever. Let's make a list. Awakens and calls into action every sympathetic feeling. It brings up in an instant everything that was past. It seizes the present, the present with the avidity of lightning. It grasps after the future with the fierceness of a tiger. It moves the mind backward and forward from one thing to another until finally all enmity and malice and hatred and past differences, misunderstandings and mismanagements are slain victorious at the feet of hope. And when the heart is sufficiently contrite, then the voice of inspiration steals along and whispers. So allow me to graph this. Allow me to write this. See, let's see if you caught the process. So how do you go from, oh God, where art thou? I'm just going to write the reference. 121 verse 1. Oh God, where art thou? To my son. Tell me the steps. What did he just say? The voice of a friend. The voice of a friend, which did what? made the heart sufficiently contrite.
And when my heart is sufficiently contrite, what happens? The voice of inspiration steals along and whispers. My son, how did Joseph get from there to there? What was the key ingredient? Hiram, say it. Someone else. Someone else was the catalyst to go from I'm hurting to peace in my soul. The moment you slam that door and you keep the world out, guess what you're doing? You're denying yourself of that one step. And it's going to be a lot harder to get here without them. If you've ever run to someone who loves you in that moment of pain, do you know that process? Have you ever seen that process happen? When you were little, who was that person? When you were little and you fell down and you were in pain, how did you go from pain to comfort so quickly, Hiram? Mom or dad? Usually mom. And what did mom's hug and mom's kiss and mom's reassurance do? But for some silly reason, when we get grown up, what do we do? We forget that. And we keep people at a distance. My daughter suffered severe depression for an entire year before working up the courage to tell her parents. An entire year she suffered. Because what did she think? Tell me what her thought process was. If I tell my parents, then, anyone guess what her thought process was? Probably something about how you just made it up and you don't, aren't really suffering. They'd brush it off, they'd be disappointed, whatever. And guess what the, her parents' reaction was? How can we help? What can we do? So I, let's read it again. Let's go back and read verse 9. Who read it? Hiram, I think you read it. No, I don't remember who read it, but would you read verse 9, Hiram? Yeah, 121. 121 again. Uh, Thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly hands. So let them in. Let him in. So let's stop there. There's no way we should bring up Job. Job. The whole Job discussion is going to take more than we have. We only have about four minutes left, and the whole Job discussion is going to take a little longer than that. So we'll pause there. But I want you to just ponder one of the ways to get through and hear him in the dark is, number one, you trust that you're not alone. Pain and suffering is not evidence that he's left you. Pain and suffering is not necessarily the absence of God. We do, I think we jump to that mentally. We just assume that. Carest thou not that we perish? So why was Jesus asleep on the boat? Is it, 
Is it because he didn't care that they were suffering? Why was he asleep? He wasn't concerned. Therefore, what should they have done? If he's not concerned about this storm, then what, Desiree? Then I'm not going to be concerned. If he's not concerned about dying, then neither are we. And I think the idea is darkness doesn't mean I'm alone and abandoned. It means he's with me and he knows where we're sailing. Now, maybe just tip my hand to one more. If you're still in the scriptures, go to section 122. Verse 9, right after the semicolon, what does he say? Beautiful statement. If you know God, what does he say? Therefore, fear not what man can do. Hope shall be with you forever. Go to that very first semicolon in verse 9. We're going to get there. Fear not. But go to the first semicolon. Their bounds are set. They cannot pass. Meaning what? I will not let anything happen to you that I know shouldn't happen to you. I know where we're going. I know what needs to happen. I'm with you. And I won't let anything happen that shouldn't happen. Truth number one, darkness does not mean God has abandoned us. But how many times was that the conclusion in the scriptures even? Remember John chapter 9, they passed the man born blind, and what do they say? Master, who did sin, him or his parents, that he was born blind? What? What was their conclusion? Blindness is a punishment for sin. Are you kidding me? But don't we make that same assumption? Tell me you don't rush to, I must have done something wrong for this bad thing to have happened to me. Doctrinally speaking, he is saying that is false doctrine. Pain is not evidence that God is not with us. God does not want us to have a pain-free life. Would that be in our best interest to be, have a pain-free life? Is that what God wants for us? It is not. But he is with us in the darkness. Doctrine number two is it won't last forever. It won't last forever. Doctrine number three, it is a test. And if you endure it well, you will triumph. If you feel wronged and get wroth and turn against God, you're not going to receive the blessings of Zion. He that, remember when he said, he that doesn't endure chastisement is not worthy of the kingdom. So pass the test and endure it well. Doesn't mean you have to like it. It just means you need to turn to God and not turn away from him. And then number four, thy friends, we didn't write this one, so we need to write this. Thy friends stand by thee. Why are you pushing them away? I would say there's a twist in what he said. Your friends will hail you with open arms, right? Therefore, what's he really saying? Open your arms to them.
open your pain, I would just simply say, let them in. Let them in. Let them be the catalyst between, oh God, where art thou? And my son, peace be unto thy soul. All right, we'll stop there. Sorry, we just no way we can get into Job in 10 minutes. So we'll stop. Any thoughts? I leave you with my testimony. Hearing him in the dark is a challenge. Hearing the whispering of God in pain, in frustration, in heartbreak, in disappointment takes concentrated effort. But I testify you're not alone. There is a reason for the pain. We'll do that next time. God doesn't give unnecessary experiences, only those that are for our good. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.